Welcome to The Healing Art of Being You, where we share stories, ideas, and techniques for leaving behind a life of pain. In today's episode, we dive a little deeper into Allison's introduction to the body code, as well as some of the ways energy work has changed the way she parents, loves, and experiences life. Here are your hosts, Chelsea Damron and Allison Engling. I am happy to be feeling like myself again because that was freaking awful. What do you feel like, what was the biggest difference that you felt? Um, golly, I don't even know. It was just like, during that processing phase, like that insecurity, it was constantly on my mind. Mm-hmm. It was constant. I was 100% convinced that this whole other friendship and relationship was happening mm-hmm. behind my back, mm-hmm. like like a little middle school girl sleepover party where they're like, oh, <laughs> Allison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, who even cares if that is what's happening? Like, who even cares? That literally has no effect on my life whatsoever. It is not, other people's opinion of you is none of your business. It was just like, it was just like that, um, you know, you have like a really big to-do list and you mm-hmm. finally check everything off and mm-hmm. you just feel like you have all this mental space freed up. Mm-hmm. It was like that. Like I woke up, I was like done with this insecurity energy. And then I was like, I just felt like myself again. I was like, oh my gosh, I can think again. Like You yeah. feel like that insecurity energy was affecting like every aspect of your every life. Every aspect of your life. Every aspect. It was like, I would send a message. And then I was like, why am I sending this? Am I sending this because I actually feel this way? Or am I trying to make them feel a certain way? Or what was happening? It was like, ugh. Mm-hmm. All that. <sighs> I've had an interesting life in the fact that, like, I have not had to have like new relationship energy in over twenty years. Like, that's so true. Well, I'm saying like, um, because ours was a slow build relationship. Like, yeah, but still, that was new. That felt easy though. That doesn't it, matter. It never felt like it was that, like, you know when you first start dating somebody, like, what do I say? What do I do? Yeah. This and that. Like, that second guessing. I have not really been in a relationship where that has been part of my life since before I dated my husband mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, I was, like, back into that, where it was, like, like, I'm trying For to sure. project a certain type of How thing. do I exist? Yes. And it was just the worst and I felt com- I felt confident and comfortable talking to you Nicole and Caitlin because all of you guys understand energy work and how it's like it's you but it's not you right like it's it's, it's you, a but part it's not of you, you. that was mm-hmm. that's 20 plus years old right that's like getting ready to be yeah. done now so it's like the stuff that's coming out is you know 15 year old Allison right um but also we recognize that you are 37-year-old Allison. You're not 15-year-old Allison. 15-year-old Allison's leaving now. Yeah. And so, well, 15-year-old Allison's not leaving, but 15-year-old Allison is getting the love and compassion and attention that she needs, and then she's taking a seat in the corner mm-hmm. so that you can drive the bus. Right. Because right. that's what's happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was just, um, it was nice to have her take a seat because she is the worst. <laughs> she's- is she worse than 5-year-old Allison? Uh, five-year-old Allison ruled the world. Okay, then yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because five-year-old Allison was before. Mm-hmm. Although five-year-old Allison, I have a distinct memory of when I was like five or six, I had this hot pink bathing suit that had little yellow frills, shockingly, since, you know, I am like, love, I love bright colors, so obviously it started very young. And I distinctly remember taking two 
like softballs or wiffle balls or something and like stuffing them into the top yep. and like strutting around. Uh-huh. Like always. Like I was amazing. Hell yeah. <sighs> I'm sure it looked awesome. We had baseball. My, me and my friend Annie had baseballs and she would literally put baseballs and like ace wraps. <laughs> That's awesome. Always. That's awesome. Ridiculous. Yeah. But then I remember like my, who was it? Maybe my grandma was like with us and like she saw me. She's like, Allison. And I was like, ah! all the shame. Right. right. Exactly. Because you're like, like you're trying to emulate the oh, bodies no. that you see around you. Right. Yeah. How dare you? And I was like growing up in the early 90s. So that was like, you know, all of the, wasn't that like the heroin chic phase? It was like the 90s. Yeah. 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 And I had always been an athletic built body. So Uh that conditioning starts young, doesn't it? Just a bit. (laughs) Just a bit. But yeah, I mean, five year old Allison, I ruled the world. Everybody was my friend. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. None of it had anything to do with learning. Of course not. I was not interested in school. I wanted to play at recess. I wanted to play tetherball. I rocked tetherball. That was the best. Play soccer. Play. Play. That's what you're saying. So, now that you are on the other end of your... What can you identify the triggers that were present that that 15-year-old Allison was dealing with? Oh, um, yeah, I think it was, like, that, like, feeling left out. Like, that somebody likes somebody else more than me. Mm-hmm. Not feeling seen. Right. And, like, um, because they like that person more, this other person's going to get these things that I don't get. Mm-hmm. It was that very grabby, immature, mm-hmm. scarcity mindset where there's only so much, mm-hmm. there's only so much love and attention in the world. There's only so many good things that can happen. And if, and if this person is giving that love and attention to this other person, then that means that I won't ever get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and then, you know, you go down the spiral of this other person is going to be all the things that you want to be. And therefore you now can't be those things because they're going to accomplish all of your goals. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you mean externally and not just like with that relationship, mm-hmm. right? That relationship will open the door to be able for them to accomplish all of the things mm-hmm. that I want to accomplish. Yeah. And then, because apparently there is only one person who can do a single thing. Exactly. Only Obviously. one person can have an opinion or write a book. Exactly. Or, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're so right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, so how did you? It is. There. Of course, it's race. Yeah. How <laughs> did you notice? Now, in hindsight, mm-hmm. how did you notice those triggers showing up while you were parenting your children? Affect my parenting. I think I was just more generally irritable with my parenting. I think that I was much less tolerant to their emotional needs mm-hmm. because I was so preoccupied with my own frustration and despair. Like, mm-hmm. it was a very, like, self-centered period. For those three days. All right, let me reframe that. Not self-centered. Their emotions caused your already overwhelmed. Like, you couldn't mm-hmm. handle I couldn't it. couldn't handle it. Yeah. It was, like, things that would come out of my mouth were things that, like, make me cringe. Like, listen, you can cry if you want to, but you need to go to your room. I don't want to hear it. And, like, being mm-hmm. unavailable to support mm-hmm. them. Um, which is something that I've worked really, really hard to like shift out of that emotional overwhelm so that I can be present to support them. What do you think is, has made the biggest difference in 
doing that shift and, and how you've been able to like actually access that shift and do it, not just say you're doing it or think you're doing it. It's a lot of freaking work. It's been about a three-year process. Um, I think that the first thing that was essential was shifting out of a lot of the perfectionism, people-pleasing side of my life where I was just literally emotionally and energetically giving every other person all of me Mm -hmm. and I had nothing left and I had nothing left to give to the people that really actually needed it, Mm -hmm. which was myself and my husband and my children. Um, so that was, I pulled away from, um, I started setting a lot of boundaries. I started pulling away from some relationships where it felt like they needed, or I felt I felt compelled to give mm-hmm. more than I was actually available to give. Um, my husband and I, I kind of came up with this analogy that was super helpful um, where it was, I remember this one night, it was like, we were both upstairs, we were kind of get ready. And I think he had had like a late workout cause he was taking a shower and we were talking about helping the kids get ready for bed or this or that. And I, because he had had a long day and he had a hard workout and stuff like that, like I felt like, you know, he's already done so much today. And so I was like trying to like do that obligatory, like the stuff needs to get done and everything. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, well that's fine. You know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like he just seemed like he was in a chipper mood. And I was just like trying to be like the martyr who does everything. And then I had, you know, been through some coaching and I was like, you know what, Allison, like this is a period where you need to ask for help. And I asked him and I go, you know what? Quick question here. If your like available energy was like a battery, you know, like a hundred percent, you're fully charged zeros, you're dead. Like, where are you right now? And he's like, well, like, I'm like 60, 70%. And I was like, my mouth just dropped. I was like, I'm at 12. I'm at 12% right now. And he looked at me, he was like, go lay down. Like, I've got this, I'm good. Go lay down. Put a show on for the kids. I will get them set up. And like, it was like this moment where I was like, oh my gosh. So now we use the battery of like, hey, where are you right now? And the kind of the agreement is that if somebody, if one of us asks the other one, you don't get to say like, well, what are you? Like mm-hmm. they're asking because they want to know your honest opinion first. Right. Because if they're higher or lower, then they can make sure that you're reaching that. out for help. Yeah. And so we'll just kind of ask like, and I will say, I, I'm usually the one who asks because like, I think that I kind of get a little bit more depleted. He's you know, much more being around people just fuels him. But that was a big shift. So once I kind of started being able to like set the boundaries, learn to ask for help, especially when I could tell, like when I could figure out that I was just telling myself stories. Like I was telling myself stories that I needed to be the one to do this, that I was the only one capable of doing this, that I was the one who was going to do it the best, or it was my job because I'm the mom or you know, any other number of stories that I tell myself about why I need to be doing something and just pushing myself through and pushing myself through and pushing myself through until I'm like exhausted mm-hmm. and I can't do anything that it really serves no one because all my husband wants from me at the end of the day is to like sit down in bed and like have like emotional closeness. Like he connection. wants to unpack his day. He wants, he to, wants to chat. Yeah. He wants to connect. He wants to chat. He wants to lay close to each other. I am not somebody who generally enjoys physical contact on a regular basis. I, you know, working as a pelvic PT, I'm touching humans all day long and I'm very, very energetically no in the session. 
and then I go into three children and then I have a husband who loves physical touch and it just feels like I'm touched out for the day mm-hmm. and so when I can start kind of setting those energetic boundaries and being like listen I'm I'm done and he can take the hour to you know clean up the kitchen from dinner and get the kids to bed and I can just go upstairs and I can just lay down or maybe I zone out and play like a puzzle game or mm-hmm. whatever the case is then it gives me that moment to plug my battery back in and recharge and that helps me kind of like shift into being more available for reals so you said that you felt that you were just overall more irritable mm-hmm. prior to Caitlin's session so yeah. how do you feel like your parenting has shifted now so when i keep up with my appointments parenting is i don't want to say easy but it is it, there's just less resistance to it it's just easier it's like i can just i'm way more patient way more patient like even even tanner was like um like um this was like months ago and our car died Mm -hmm. and we needed to go get we're gonna borrow my in-laws car so we and they live around the corner from us we walked over went to get their car their car was dead so then we needed to get jumper cables we didn't have any jumper cables you would think if we were responsible parents we would have jumper cables we really probably need to get some anyway so i'm texting the neighbors right luckily one of my neighbors has jumper cables they're working from home that day they're like we'll put them out on the front porch cool so we go we get the jumper cables we're supposed to be taking our dog to the vet at this point as well like we call them we're like we're so sorry we got you know dead dead batteries or any way we can move our appointment they're able to move us to later in the day so we go we get the jumper cables we jump his parents car jump our car we get both batteries up and running get the dog to the vet and uh you know tanner tells me he was like wow mom you're really handling this really well and i was like what do you mean he goes well usually you'd be like yelling at about this like you'd be yelling about this stuff you'd be really frustrated and I was like huh I guess I'm just feeling like we're really lucky right now like we're lucky that even though our car died we had another car to use and we're lucky that even though that car died we happened to have a neighbor who happened to be working at home that day who happened to have jumper cables and was like willing to let us borrow them and we were super lucky that the vet had another appointment that we could take the vet we were just really really lucky today you know and he was like, well, he was like, you just, you really seem like you're handling this a lot better than you used to. And so it kind of took me a minute to kind of think about it and was like, yeah, well, I, I had practiced gratitude. I was doing the work or continue to do the work where I go consistently to kind of like get all the bad juju kind of cleared mm-hmm. out and just kind of like reconnect to like myself and everything like that and when I do that it is way easier to practice gratitude it is way easier to be patient in circumstances that are more chaotic mm-hmm. um and when I don't keep up with those appointments it's like I feel like there's like a sludge like in my heart that is just making it a little bit harder for me to care Mm-hmm. a little bit harder for me to not say the mean things mm-hmm. you know a little bit harder for me to be excited about stuff mm-hmm. you know it's just that little bit more resistance and I just because I've been able to feel what it's like to not have resistance I just don't really like want to feel it you know like yeah. there's so many other points of resistance in my life why am I going to voluntarily add resistance to my life you know absolutely like 
there's there's just I have a lot of I think everybody does I think everybody has resistance to whatever it is that they want to accomplish and I was listening to something recently and it's like if you're feeling a lot of resistance towards something that's the was it is it it was Michelle right Michelle Font right it was on, yeah, it was yeah. hers with the resilient, or was uh-huh. it resistance? Yes. And yeah. it was brilliant because it was like, if you're feeling a ton of resistance towards something, that's the thing you're supposed to be doing because you you built up so many different stories in your head as to why you can't accomplish it because it's so important to you. And so, like, it's I'm, so important. The quote is, the more important a project is to the evolution of your soul, the more resistance you will feel to it. So. I couldn't remember the quote, but the, the best. I resonated. just listened to it last night, yeah. so that's why it was. It was so true, though. So and true. Like, I have. I mean, there are points of resistance for a lot of different areas of my life. Why am I going to allow my energy to be one of those things? You know, mm-hmm. like I have enough stuff that I'm working through. I'm not gonna like voluntarily just be like, let's just go ahead and add a little bit of sludge to my soul to just make things be a little bit slower and ickier and harder to do. So you feel like by doing this intentional energy work and maintaining a clear vessel mm-hmm. within yourself, you are able to actually do the things mm-hmm. that bring resistance to you, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you're, when you do this work, there, it removes the wall mm-hmm. that is yeah. in front of the mountains that you have created yourself or that you, mm-hmm. you see that you want to climb. Yeah, it's the, whole, it's the whole tool shed in the middle of the yeah. highway system, you know? It's like I've got this tool shed. I've been to, you know, I've worked with, coaches and I, I listen to a, I listen to a lot of mental health podcasts mm-hmm. um you've done the work I've sure. done a lot of the work so I have this tool set of all these different tools that I can use mm-hmm. when I'm meeting a barrier but the problem is is that if I'm not doing the energy work I've got this tool shed and there's a whole bunch of roads that are driving around it, but nothing's going to the shed so I can park my car I can get out and I can go grab whatever I can carry but then I have to walk it back to my car I can't get everything from the tool shed mm-hmm. so it's just like a lot more work when I do the energy work, I can drive right up to that tool shed and I can just pile stuff into the car and drive wherever I need to go. It's just the energy work makes the tool shed accessible to me. I love that which analogy. I appreciate. You started going to see Caitlin mm-hmm. for your children. So actually, it was a really interesting story. I had this really cool patient who was coming to see me for infertility. And I told her, like, I'm not specifically trained in infertility, but I am happy to offer whatever I can to help balance out any forces in your body or whatever else is going on. And so as we got working together and we're working on our body and stuff, I just kind of asked her, who else have you worked with? What else have you done? And so she mentioned that one of her friends from way back um, was really good at, like, um, understanding, like, um, clean cleaning products, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So she had worked with her and she was, you know, had totally restructured her cleaning products and everything like that. And I was like, that sounds amazing. I work with a lot of people with autoimmune diseases. Um, do you think she'd be willing to chat with me? Because um, I'd like to kind of chat with her about this. So she introduced me to her. And so she and I were chatting. Miss Lily. Uh-huh, Lily. She's absolutely brilliant in that world. Mm-hmm. So, so, so knowledgeable. And I told her, I was like, well, I work with a lot of people with chronic pain and a lot of people with um, infertility. Um, autoimmune diseases um this would be super helpful information you know can i can i send people your way she's like eh, that's not really my area of comfort she's like i have handouts that i can give or i can i can direct them to certain resources but that's not really like my area of comfort to do this however based on what you're saying i really think you should talk to my sister caitlin and she was like 
I was like, okay, well, what does she do? And she's like, well, she have you heard of the body code? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, it's like energy kind of. And she was kind of describing it. I was like, well, I'm not going to turn down a potentially good resource. So I don't really understand what you're saying, but I'll go do, I'll, I'll talk to her. So she set up a contact. I talked to Caitlin, one of the most delightful humans, as you know, in the entire world. I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's trying to describe to me what she does as well. And she obviously is doing a better job because she's the one who does it. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, here's the deal, Caitlin. Like, I am at a place in my career where nothing sounds crazy. Like, I have had enough people who have come in who have said, this thing helped them. And I'm like, that that makes no sense to me. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you're not feeling better. And I feel their tissues and their tissues feel better. So, obviously, something happened. And I don't understand it. So, I'm totally open to what you're saying. I just don't understand how it works. I don't understand how I describe this to a patient mm-hmm. and I tell them this is something that I think you're going to need. Mm-hmm. And she was like, why don't we just do a session? And that way you can kind of get it. <clears throat> so I'm like, okay, sure. So I have my session and we're chatting and stuff. And she's like, okay, well, um, you know, are you okay if I connect to your energy? And I'm like, <laughs> sure knock yourself out like whatever like i don't okay <laughs> that even oh are you out? there in my energy what yeah, you know like, right it's like okay whatever that mm-hmm. bunch of woo-woo weirdo stuff hippie cr- yeah him hippie granola crunchy bullshit yeah pretty much and so she's like okay okay and she goes um so what happened when you were nine and i'm like what she's like i'm just getting like a really big something happened when you were nine and i was like um well, I was in a car accident and I broke my leg and I ruptured my spleen and I was in the hospital for two weeks and that was like the beginning of my body dysmorphia. She was like, yeah, I'm getting terror, frustration. I'm like, <laughs> I'd have to go back and look at the original report, but it was like all of the things that yeah. I felt when I was nine. I was like, is this a freaking joke? Like what even is happening right mm-hmm. now? I was like, how would you know that? She's like, your body told me. Like, right? <laughs> like that's, yeah. and I was like, okay so we go through this and a couple more things kind of like popped up she's like does that resonate with you and i was like yes Mm -hmm. what is happening right now and so at the end she's like okay we're gonna go ahead and clear this energy and i'm like still like 90 percent, like okay whatever um and she's like okay well your body's thing is gonna take three days to process and it's ready to work together in a couple weeks and i was like all right Mm -hmm. cool i was like yeah i'll call you then to schedule (laughs) and so i over the next three days during my processing period, the only thing I can describe it as was like depression. Like I felt sad and I had no reason to feel sad. Like there was nothing going on in my family. I was like, it wasn't even that I was sad. I was like disinterested. Everything was like indifference. Mm -hmm. And it would be like, well, what do you want to watch for movie night? I don't, whatever. Like it's fine. Like I just, I just had no Mm -hmm. interest and it was kind of scaring me. Because I didn't know, and I, I genuinely did not believe it was anything to do with the body code. Of course not. Because I was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm, in a, I'm in a funk right now. Why right. am I in such a funk right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, that fourth day, after my three-day processing period, I woke up like freaking Cinderella. Like, I had the animals helping me get dressed. The sun was shining. I was singing. Like, it was the world had color again and I was just in the best mood of my entire life and I was like what the hell is that like what is this 
And so I immediately got online, scheduled my next appointment, and I got on with her. Then my next call was like, what the heck was that? Like, what? And she was like, yeah, when you're processing, like, that's your body, like, getting rid of it and making mm-hmm. new connections and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, mm-hmm. like, helping strengthen that whole energy field and everything. And I was like, I mean, I was, like, depressed. And she was like, yeah, we, well, like, released your heart wall. There was a lot there, like, a lot. And I was like, oh, my God, is it always going to be like this? And she was like... Not every time, no. She's like, but if there's big stuff to release, yeah, you, it can feel this way. But that's why I give you the processing period so you know what to mm-hmm. expect. Oh, okay. So I started working with her with the kids. So let's go there. What behaviors, what was like the thing that your kids were doing that made you? Yeah, well, so, ooh, so Tanner was experiencing a lot of anxiety. How old was Tanner at this time? How long have I been with Caitlin? Two years? What year are we in? Yeah, it's been two years. So so Tanner was 10. Okay. Um, And so he was dealing with anxiety. Lucas was dealing with a lot of fear. Didn't want to be by himself. Wouldn't go downstairs if everyone was upstairs. Wouldn't go upstairs if everyone was downstairs. Wouldn't take a shower if there wasn't somebody in the bathroom with him. A lot of fear. A lot of fear. How was Tanner's anxiety manifesting? I think he was starting to have some panic attacks. Um, it was mostly school induced. He was, it was, we were kind of late to figure out that he had ADHD. And so it was difficulty kind of like processing, a lot of that executive functioning, comprehension. And, um, and it was, he unfortunately, with being our first, was um, raised with me being more of an authoritarian parent. Mm-hmm. I was kind of raised in that environment. That's what I modeled. We had him when we were 24. So it was just kind of, and I was the first one in the family to have kids. So we didn't really have any other reference points. It was before my, my parental growth. And so, yeah, there was a lot of like, just put the shoes on. We got to go. You just, there's no reason for you to not keep your body to yourself. Just keep your body to yourself. So a lot of the, like the guilt and shame for like just his natural being, being, um, which we have tried, we've been working a lot on with reparenting, especially when he starts having a panic attack. Okay. Like where let's think back as to why we might think this might be the response that you're having. Mm-hmm. You know, you are not in kindergarten anymore with your mom yelling at you for rolling around on the floor. Like I, now that I know better, I believe you that you are trying your best. I genuinely believe you. I do not think that you are trying to not do the work, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but that doesn't mean that his subconscious recognizes that. Right. So when I started seeing progress with myself, I knew that I needed Caitlin's help to kind of clear out some of this old patterning mm-hmm. to help give him a chance at living a life that was enjoyable and not ruled by anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want that for him. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people who experience ADHD, the only way that they're able to get things done is through their high levels of anxiety right that's like the only thing that moves them into motion and i would love for him to and and there's really some there's some really great information by i believe his name is gabor mata mateo um i have to look him up um but he is um incredible in the world like in in some of the stuff he talks about for adhd is that it's more of a like i'm probably butchering his words so i apologize um, but basically, yeah, like, I know, I'm the worst. It was like <laughs> what I did with Michelle. It was just like, blah, blah, blah. Um, But basically, like, that people with ADHD, that is, like, their coping mechanism. Yeah. 
that then leads to a lot of the chemical stuff that we're seeing, mm-hmm. but that if you're with parents who are not managing their stressors, that then they are more likely to have to tune out a lot in order to survive. And so kind of hearing that over and over and over again and recognizing that the anxiety that Tanner was experiencing was a direct result of the environment that I put him in, that was very hard pill to swallow. But it was kind of one of those like, piss or get off the pot. Are you going to sit here and wallow in self-pity and just keep making the same mistakes over and over again? Or are you going to apologize and help him work through these things and give him the best opportunity of success? And that's the path that we are choosing. We'll see when he's an adult whether or not he adjusts well to the world as any parent of any child is looking for. But that was that was Tanner's reasoning. Okay. Lucas's fear, that was a fun one. That was interesting as to where his fear was coming from. Um, and then Aria was actually, it was very interesting in how she played by herself. Like, Let's talk about that. Yeah. So Aria had like a whole, like lots of kids have like an imaginary friend. Like Aria had an imaginary village. Like she was living in like a frat house with like a million friends. <laughs> she had Spider-Man. Um, she had some Paw Patrol characters. So there was, she was called Copycat Coffee Cat, which was adorable. Um, the Power Rangers. Her original friends were Alice, Swoony. I'm not sure where that came from. Ooh. Um, mommy and Ryan, but mommy and Ryan were not me and her father Mm -hmm. just happened to be the names that she chose. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and like, I would sit there and I would hear her when she was like two and a half, you know, three years old and she would sit there and she was talking to us, Alice, you pooped your diaper again. And she would like have to pretend to wipe the diaper and clean it up and everything like that. And there was times that like, and we always just thought it was funny. You know, whether she's just interacting and this is her pretend play. And then she was like, Ryan was driving her one day and she was coloring in the car. And he was like, Aria, just don't color on your pants. Make sure you don't color on your pants. And she's like, okay. So then he goes and he parks the car and he comes around and pick her up. And she had colored down her pants. And he goes, Aria, I told you not to color on your pants. And she goes, I didn't color on my pants. And he goes, look at that right there. And she goes, oh, that was Spider-Man. I mean, just, like, as straight as can be, like, clearly that wasn't me. You right. told me not to color on my pants. That, that was Spider-Man. Spider-Man. That was Spider-Man. And, like, I would come in, and she would have, like, an entire tea party set up in her room with, like, five different teacups, and she would be reprimanding the white Power Ranger because he bit the black Power Ranger. And, like, there was, like, this whole world, and these these characters just traveled with her. They'd be in the car with her. They were at school with her. Like, she was always talking to Spider-Man, Alice, the Power Rangers, her crew. all these folks, her crew. Mm-hmm. So we met with Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> and I had been working with Caitlin for a few months. So I had, I could experience some of the like woo-woo stuff, mm-hmm. um, but nothing crazy. Okay. So it was a gradual. It was a gradual introduction into this world. And she goes, Okay. So I'm going to tell you something, but I assure you it's not as crazy as it sounds. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is it? Um, That Arya had had 15 disembodied spirits attached to her. And that Alice seems to have been there the longest. She and Alice had a very close bond. 
one of the other concerns that I had was that Aria, and I told Caitlin, I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm hypersensitive to this because I work with a lot of um, people who have been sexually assaulted mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But Aria just seemed to have overly sexualized movements when she would play um, for a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. So, like, she would crawl around on the floor, like, on her hands and knees like many kids would. But she would, like, have her back arched, uh-huh. her butt up in the air, like, wagging and, like, staring at her butt kind of thing. It was like, what? What is happening? We're not going to do this, right. you know? Right. Um, and it, was, it would be things like that that were just, like, just more sexualized mm-hmm. than they needed to be for, like the activity of play she was having. And because you do what you do, you're more informed and able to kind of right. see that that behavior wasn't... Right. It's like, are you getting a... Because po- you're not getting any reaction from me with this. Mm-hmm. And you're getting no reaction from your dad or your brothers. Right? Like, there was no positive reinforcement for you to continue acting like that. And that's not how kids crawl. Mm-hmm. So you're not mimicking behavior. Right. It was just... A, it was very... It just made me have like a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling. Turns out, Spider-Man, which was so hard to hear because Spider-Man is my favorite superhero, um, but the disembodied spirit who she had named Spider-Man <clears throat> was giving off creepy vibes, like like pedophilia vibes, um, is what Caitlin said. So we go on and we, we, we clear all of this, we send them on, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and she said, Arya may be sad. For a little while, you know, just so that you're aware because all of her friends are gone, basically. Mm-hmm. And so um, I kind of noticed that, like, Arya just kind of, like, stopped talking about her friends, you know? And so then after, like, a few days, I just kind of asked. Because she, she talked to them all the time. All the time. And I'd heard nothing for, like, three days. So I kind of asked her, I goes, hey, you know, um, do you ever play with Alice anymore? Oh, Alice is gone. Alice doesn't want to play with me anymore. I was like, oh, what happened? Well, Alice is really, really old, and she, she had to go take a nap in a big box like Grandma Albert did. I was like, got it. Okay. Because my grandma had just passed away. I was like, okay. And then there was the couple that kind of lingered and were, like, hiding in the shadows. Um, Spider-Man, mm. now going by Copycat mm. or Coffee Cat, um, was still around. And so we had to clear there was like four more that were just kind of chilling. So we cleared them. And then I never heard anything about any of these characters ever again. And when I would ask, I would just kind of like, and I don't, I don't want to make it like a thing, you know, where it was like bring a ton of, I just try to make it really casual. Mm -hmm. Be like, Hey, uh, you play with Spider-Man anywhere? He doesn't want to play anymore. He doesn't come see me anymore. Okay. I just leave it at that. The overly sexualized behaviors completely stopped completely stopped and then maybe like a month later she kind of was just very clingy and sad and when we had our appointment with Caitlin like Arya had like energy of like longing and like depression like she was missing her friends and so it took a while for that to show up but like yeah she just like she went through a period where she like didn't want to sleep in her room because she was all by herself and I'm like you've always slept in a room by herself but she didn't she had all right. these characters with her. Right. She's never been alone. She's never been alone. And so it was like, it was kind of a hard adjustment for a while there um, where she just kind of was like, just felt very sad. But now what's really interesting is that we've kind of 
because she was born into our lives at a period where like life was just a little bit more chaotic. I was of not. Of course, you have two boys. Yeah. So she has two older brothers who are very high energy, very like the rustly, mm-hmm. jumping off of things, all that kind of Frenetic. stuff. And so we always just kind of thought like, oh my gosh, Arya's the craziest one of the bunch. Like she's, you know, two years old wanting to jump off four steps on the mm-hmm. stairs. And I'm like, no, you need to come down. And she would come down one step and she's jump. No, you cannot jump from there. Come down. And I get her down to the bottom step and she'd just look at me like you're an idiot mom <laughs> like oh are you kidding me with this and i was like you can jump from there and it would be like an eye roll and she would just like plop down the step like you're no fun um but she wanted to keep up with what they were doing and, and she just had this very chaotic mm-hmm. high intensity i mean yeah. they were wrestling and she like took down lucas and he is a strong kid <laughs> and i was just like oh my gosh this girl is an unstoppable force like <laughs> I was like, she's going to be like a, she's going to be like an international spy or like a hitman. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't yeah. need to be friends with anybody and she can handle herself. Like it was crazy. Um, and as we started like working with Caitlin, like a lot of that very, very masculine energy that we were seeing from her mm-hmm. that like wanting to wrestle and fight and like mm-hmm. sassiness, all that kind of stuff was very much like part of her like coping mechanism, protective energy from like being a baby and a toddler Mm -hmm. and being in this very chaotic lifestyle and house. And so as we have over the last three years, tried to calm down the energy, calm down and just kind of live a little bit happier in that parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. She actually is an incredibly feminine little girl. Like, and I, we would have never known, you know, she's Mm -hmm. just like, she's very into art and stuff like that. Like usually if the boys were wrestling, she would put down her stuff and she'd go wrestle. And she was just the same thing. And now she'd be like, boys, I'm trying to focus. Like, she gets very annoyed by, like, how high energy they are. You know? And so she's just, like, it's just it's very, very different now. She has that kind of more stereotypical feminine energy Mm -hmm. of, like, girls wanting to be more. And not that all girls are, right? Not that they all should be. But, like, she had none of that before. Right. And it was, like... It was just, like, she was basically, like, a boy in a little girl's body. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what she wanted to be and all that kind of stuff. Right. And um, we kind of recognized that it was, like, oh, those were all of her, like, coping mechanisms and protective mechanisms mm-hmm. to keep up with her brothers. Right. And now we could kind of let her be her own person. She's still, like, you know, you know, she'll still go play flag football with them. Right. You know? But she also wants to read by herself or play in her room with her right. little toys, you know? Yeah. And so it's just like kind of allowing them to be themselves and not just absorbing everybody else's influence all the time, which has been really nice because they're very, three very distinct children, which is really cool to see, you mm-hmm. know? And I think people kind of start demonstrating their own personalities as they age anyway, but I think we're, I think with the energy work, they are able to feel more confident in themselves. Would you say that with the energy work, they are able to develop their own sense of self rather than their parents or their perceived like the people the energies around them kind of like that's the hope I don't have I have an n of three and they're all doing it you know so that's the challenge is I don't have a um like a reference point but my my hope is that they are because I know I didn't grow up with the energy work of course. You know? Right. And I know how much I'm working through now to be like, oh, that's not even part of me. That was part of 
this person that mm-hmm. was in my life mm-hmm. that person that was in my life like right. I've been carrying this for them right and I don't need to you mm-hmm. know and um and they don't know that I'm doing it right you know like a lot of times like, no they don't, don't. Even, they don't even know that they, they don't put that know. on you and they would have never wanted to put that on right. you intentionally right and so like how much of like what I was experiencing emotionally wasn't even mine to experience I'm hopeful that that will help them sort through what's going on you know Mm -hmm. I mean we still deal with you know middle school insecurities you know like we still deal with you know three friends on your on your soccer team are going and having a sleepover and you weren't invited we Mm -hmm. still deal with that kind of stuff you know my coach yelled at me and and I thought I was doing what they wanted me to do and, and like I felt really bad about myself we still deal with all that kind of stuff but we're able to kind of like get through it faster learn our lesson and move on versus like live in a place of like oh this is my fault that they don't like me kind of thing it's like no we don't need to spend our time on people who don't want to be around us Mm -hmm. like that's okay we don't have to like everybody and not everybody has to like us by being yourself you kind of weed out who doesn't want to be around you you don't have to waste your time with them right now children how do you handle spirituality with your children So coming from your place, right, where you said that you, this was not, you were not ingrained with the woo, right? This was something that you adapted because you felt the change, felt the benefit. And then you were kind of thrust into it because your kids Mm -hmm. had such a divine connection. So it is a weird, it's so undefined. It's so undefined for us. Um, coming from a Catholic background, I consider myself to be growing up in a passive Catholic. Like I did mm-hmm. the, the CCD right. once a week, you know, right. where it's like, as a child, you're just like showing up, trying not to fall asleep. You exactly. do your sacraments and you just want to get out. Uh-huh. Um, my husband being a, I would call him a passive Methodist, kind of same sort of upbringing, like did the religious ed, did the sacraments, but like we're not. Yeah reading Bibles and heavy churchgoers. Right. Um, not that that's a problem for anybody who is. No, right. But that's that's where you came from. Right. We were at soccer tournaments. He was at hockey tournaments, like, every single weekend. It just, like, we just, that wasn't something that our families prioritized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see the guilt and shame eating away at my mom because that was her background. Mm-hmm. was, like, Catholic school. And so it was just, like, it was, yeah. it was a hard world. Um. I went through a big period of time where I was atheist, um, all through like college and stuff. Um, and then kind of came back around to Christianity in my like young adulthood. Um, and then kind of COVID happened. See, we weren't like going to the church cause we actually did go like probably almost every week for a good few years. And then we stopped going cause of COVID. And then kind of got into this world a little bit. And what I've come to kind of realize, gosh, it's so convoluted. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not a linear, it's like a spider web. Yeah. There's so many. No, it's okay. Yeah. Angles of this. So basically through the energy work, Mm -hmm. I have been able to feel the energy shifts in my life. And I have been able to feel... In, within my own body, like, 
the emotions that are happening and like the connection that I can feel and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I have this like view of like, like, okay, is there a God or not? I don't know. I don't know. Um, what I do believe, or does God exist in the way that we visualize that they exist? I don't know that part. Um, and I'm not here to tell anybody what it should be. What I feel is true is that there is some being outside of our universe because you can't create things from inside. You can only create things from outside. Mm -hmm. Well, if this being is outside of our universe, then they don't have to operate off of our laws of the universe. Mm -hmm. And we can't possibly conceptualize the laws that govern outside of our universe because we are not outside of the universe. We are within our universe. So there are going to be things innately that we cannot explain because they're coming from outside the universe. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. So when I kind of was able to conceptualize that, and I wish I could give credit to whoever it was that came that, that kind of led me down that path, when I was able to conceptualize that, I was like, okay, then the things that I'm feeling are true. We are all interconnected mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form, and we are connected to everything on the earth everything in the universe it is all one fluid thing and then you bring in the science of um energy is not created nor destroyed okay so if we are if a human body is an energetic being which i think is pretty well founded in science right like we can recognize that like we have energy beings having a human experience right And, and we like have you know ions and electrons and things right. floating through our body we have EKGs, electrical charge EEGs. exactly yeah exactly and emgs and all the all the, exactly all of them all these frequencies um exactly so then okay so if when my physical body dies my energy cannot be destroyed it is therefore absorbed in something else within our environment mm-hmm. and then therefore it then has to just it doesn't become anything it just shifts into something else which opens the entire door to reincarnate reincarnation mm-hmm. and like does our soul have a purpose before it comes to this earth on what it wants to accomplish mm-hmm. and then if you open your eyes and you see the signs and you follow the signs is that the path to your soul's goal of its experience this time around you know Mm -hmm. and if that's the case and our and and we can't be created nor destroyed so we just kind of leave and come back through the existence of time because because you get the the thing of no child would choose to have an abusive parent Right. right right no child would nobody would choose to come back and live in an area of war or of poverty mm-hmm and yeah, if you had one life to live, absolutely you would not do that. But if you're on your 15th, 20th, 30th life, and you've learned all the other things, are you the person who's saying, are you the soul that's saying, like, I need to understand this experience? Maybe, I don't know. I don't remember anything from any past lives. Zero, nothing. Maybe this is my first time down here. I don't know. Maybe reincarnation is absolutely, totally bogus. But when I think about science, mm-hmm. I feel like there's not another interpretation until somebody else explains it to me, in which case I'm totally open to that. But at my current state right now, like I said, 
raised Catholic, raised passive Catholic, mm-hmm. then atheist, then yeah. Catholic again, now more spiritual. I'm totally open when people can show me evidence of like, this is what I believe and this is why. I'm like, I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How that translates into the kids. Yes. Is that I do share with them. If energy can't be, like we tell our kids, thank you so much for choosing our family. I appreciate you. Like we love you so much. Thank you for choosing us to be your family. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we actually had some fertility issues between Lucas and Aria. So we had two miscarriages and an ectopic pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, there are different species out there where the mom can be pregnant for years because the environment is not right for that child to come into the world yet. Oh yeah. Right. So is there a form of that energetically within the human body that if you have a pregnancy loss, it was that being was like, this is not the time yet. I'll come back when I'm ready or when you're ready. I was just talking about this last night. Oh, were you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Just talking about this last night Yeah. because I have two people that Mm -hmm. this happens to Mm -hmm. one of which being Katie Mm -hmm. who had a miscarriage pretty early on Mm -hmm. and then they decided that they were done with the two that they'd had because she'd been had Edda and everything was good Mm -hmm. planning on getting a vasectomy and she walks out of the bathroom with a positive pregnancy test and is like well here we are and so her little boy Enzo snuck in right before all the swimmers were gone (laughs) because they are divinely supposed to raise this child and bring this child into the world and he was not Mm -hmm. supposed to be here before Etta. Mm-hmm. He was not supposed to be here at that time in her life. Mm-hmm. And so in saying that, there was also a woman that I actually was talking to because her husband had just passed mm-hmm. without realizing that. Um, and what I was talking about was Gabby's podcast episode where mm-hmm. she talks about the the girl the client who lost her child at like 38 weeks or whatever and then a year later is out in public and somebody yells across the room you're gonna have a baby next year and it's gonna be a boy and she's like oh my goodness so excited gets pregnant Mm -hmm. convinced it's this boy the boy that she lost at 38 weeks that she had grown you know Mm -hmm. loved in her womb and it's a girl and she's devastated and she's like, you know, it's not that I'm not open to having a girl. It's that I am, I was, I thought I was getting my boy back. Mm-hmm. I thought I was getting my boy back. Mm-hmm. And Gabby said, how do you know that you didn't? Mm-hmm. A soul is just a soul. Gender is just mm-hmm. a construct, you know? So what, how do you know mm-hmm. that that soul mm-hmm. was not mm-hmm. in you? And at 38 weeks, decided, you know what? Hey, the world has enough masculine energy. Mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to be here in this form. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to come back in the divine feminine because Mm -hmm. the world needs more divine feminine right now. Mm -hmm. How do you know? You don't. You don't. You don't. You don't. And that instantly, instantly allowed her to make that shift to realize that, like, we don't know. And to assume that we do is you're just doing yourself a disservice oh, yeah. because you're creating resistance. Mm-hmm. You're creating stories, you're creating these expectations yes. that are just completely non-essential. Mm-hmm. And it's know? closing off mm-hmm. the ability for the universe to bring you the gifts mm-hmm. that were meant for you mm-hmm. in the first place mm-hmm. that are going to help you move down that soul's path, that soul's journey. Mm-hmm. So I love 
that you are saying this because it's also like a your body intuitively knows right like sure you could go into a thousand different reasons why people have miscarriages why people have infertility right but we could also go into a thousand different cases where they had to use IVF forever and then got pregnant naturally mm-hmm. or they stopped trying and got pregnant with twins mm-hmm. or the body knows oh yeah the body knows and when I think about the mindset that we had and my husband I don't want to say that he was like a, a passenger in this process like he was you know he was part of it but I had I was the one who wanted four kids, mm-hmm. and he was like, "That's a lot of kids." <laughs> um, and, and and I think that when you grow up, and you you kind of like reflect fondly on your childhood, that's what family means to you. Oh yeah, you know. And so he had there were two kids in his family. We had four kids in our family. We both reflect fondly on our childhood, and so um, for me, a family was four kids, and for him, a family was two kids. Mm-hmm. And neither one of us wanted an odd number of kids because we play a lot of games and we always yeah. want to be able to have a human number of kids. Right. So when we were trying to get pregnant, there was this very, it was a very grabby energy and it was a very like, well, this is what the plan was. So it was that very like robotic, like, well, it's time for us to get pregnant again to have our third kid. And it was almost like this obligation to the plan. You know, mm-hmm. and it was like, um, well, this is what I always said I was going to do. So this is what I'm going to do. And, um, and it just wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. And then when we had the ectopic pregnancy, the thing that was really hard about the ectopic pregnancy, which was really interesting because being in the medical field, I like didn't really register the fact that I could have died because of course not. I, cause I was in medical care the entire time. So I had a positive test. Later, literally later that afternoon, I started bleeding. So, and we had just started over with a new OBGYN. And so I <clears throat> called the office because my mom, because I was like, oh, I'm having another miscarriage, this sucks, you know? And my mom was like, well, you should call the office to make sure that they document it because um, if you're infertile for a year, if you try for a year, if you're basically, if you try for a year and you don't get pregnant, they consider you infertile. Right. Well, a lot of times you, and I, and I never had to go down this path. So what I'm saying right now may be incorrect, but this was my understanding at the time was that like, they won't really do anything until you've been infertile, accurate. Yeah. You know? Accurate. And so I, so I called the doctor's office and I was like, Hey, just want to give you guys a heads up. Like I had a positive test this morning and I'm already bleeding. I think I'm having another miscarriage. They're like, well, we need you to send, we need to send you to go give some blood work. So I did the blood work and they were like, okay, yes, you do have pregnancy hormones going on. We need to check you again in 48 hours to make sure your levels have increased. So I go back and I check and they were like, mm, they increased, but they didn't increase enough. We want you to go back again in another 48 hours. So I go back again in another 48 hours. And they were like, um, like, okay, we, we, we highly suspect that this is an ectopic pregnancy because you're not increasing at the rate we need these to increase. Mm-hmm. And I knowing that like when I tested positive for Tanner, I did not test positive on a pregnancy test until he was six until I was six weeks along with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was in like the height of grad school. Yeah. We were studying for comps. I think my stress hormones were insane. Mm-hmm. Um and so I didn't even and like my period wasn't coming, but I was like it's either stress or I'm pregnant because we were trying to get pregnant. Right. And I took a test at four weeks and a test at five weeks and they were all negative. Right? So I told them, I begged them on the phone. I was like, listen, I didn't test positive until I was six weeks along with my first one. I cannot in good conscience 
terminate this pregnancy until we know more. Can you please, please give me another 48 hours? Do one more. And if it still isn't raising, then yes, I will follow the medical advice. But if, am I being reckless if I wait another 24 hours? And she goes, let me talk to the doctor. She calls me back and she goes, yeah, we'll give you another 48 hours because right now your levels aren't high enough yet that we can find anything on an ultrasound. So they call me back then in 48 hours and they tell me, like, we have good news and bad news. Bad news is the numbers are still not raising at a rate we want them to. However, you have reached the threshold that we should be able to see something on an ultrasound now. So we want you to go in and get an ultrasound. Cool. So I go in, go in with my mom. My husband was at work. They're searching all around, searching all around, pushing on everything, right? And uh, tech can't obviously tell you anything. So they go out and get the doctor and she comes in and I'm like, this is not good. And she was like, so we can't find the baby. All we can, we don't have good visualization of one of my ovaries and fallopian tubes. Um, but we know for sure they're not in the uterus. So wherever they are, this is not going to end well. Um, so I was given a couple options. We could do a surgery where they would go in and they would try to get the egg out um, she said many times that results in losing the fallopian tube though. And right now we're operating under the assumption that you're releasing an egg from each side. Mm -hmm. But if you've only ever actually been releasing from one side, mm -hmm. now you're in trouble. Yeah. So that's a risk that we run with that. And the fact that you guys are actively trying to get pregnant, that's something that you have to kind of consider. I was like, okay. The next option is um, a methotrexate in injection which is a very toxic, looks like Mountain Dew. And at the time, we were like... It's a cancer bed. Yeah. And we were vegetarian and like <laughs> organic-only foods. And I'm like, I'm literally injecting a Mountain Dew-looking cancer medication into my body. What is happening? Mm -hmm. um, the thing with methotrexate is that it completely depletes your folic acid, so nothing can grow. If your numbers continue to rise over the course of the first week, then they can do a second injection. If they continue to rise after that, then they have to do surgery. The problem with the methotrexate injection is that you have to basically wait until your period normalizes for like at least a couple cycles mm -hmm. before you try to get pregnant again. Mm -hmm. And so, and they were like, and it can take about, you know, three months or so for the period to normalize. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. So you're going to tell me I have to wait three months until my period starts again. And then another three months to have normal cycles. So I'm looking at six months here before mm -hmm. we can even try again. Right, let alone and we don't even know yeah. what's going to happen. And so we were already, in my mind, this fake construct I had of expectations of life, that we are already now, we are like a year behind right. on our plan. And we had actually already delayed it a little bit because we moved in 2015. And like our expectation, if we were staying on my like my two-year, mm -hmm. 10-month plan of like having a baby every two year, two and a half to three years, like we were already behind on that because we had moved mm -hmm. and I wasn't, I didn't qualify for FMLA. So we had to stay at the job for a year before we could even try. Right. So we're already behind because we moved. And now we're even further behind because we had the miscarriages in the topic. And now you're telling me I'm going to be another six months behind on this and still maybe end up with a surgery. Right. Like, what are these options, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm on the phone with my husband and we're just very business-like. We're just yeah. making decisions, you know? Like, we're just talking about the timeline and everything like that. And he is like, we ultimately decided to go with the methotrexate injection because while it's obnoxious to wait, the thought of not having an option that was too heavy. Mm -hmm. 
So we go and we get the methotrexate injection and my numbers continue to rise. So then I had to go back and get another methotrexate injection. They kept asking me through this process, are you having any uh, shoulder pain? Are you having any rectal pain? No, I'm not having any of this pain, not at all. I'm like, okay. So then after the second methotrexate injection, like 48 hours later, I was driving to work and I was like, I'm trying to, like, I'm feeling like maybe I'm a little bit gassy, you know, like some of that pain. Yeah, gas. yeah. I'm having a hard time, like, sitting mm-hmm. and stuff, and I get to work and stuff, and I'm, you know, as a pelvic PT, I work with a lot of people with constipation, so I'm, like, doing my bowel massage and everything like that, and I just, like, man, my, like, rectum is hurting, like, my perineum's hurting, I feel super gassy, like, super uncomfortable, and I was like, maybe I should call the doctor's office. Why this didn't jump out of my, to begin with, right? Because I was in survival mode. Exactly. So um, so I call the doctor's office, give them a heads up, and they're like, we need you to come in immediately. I was like, all right. Well, luckily I had a half day for that day because I'd already taken off so much work, and I was like, they're going to kill me because mm-hmm. I worked in an environment at the time where right. it was like, um, you're not allowed to leave. You exactly. need to patients. Go in. Doctor comes in. My, again, my mom was present with me. Um, doctor comes in, does this ultrasound, and he's like, okay, do you see that right there? I'm like, I'm feeling like he just forgot to turn the screen on. There's nothing right. there. And I'm like... No. no he's like all that dark stuff right there and i was like yeah he was like yeah that's blood i was like i'm sorry he was like yeah your abdomen is like full of blood this is an issue um how are you feeling right which is so hard to subjectively state how you're feeling when you have all the weight of what does that feeling mean yeah you know absolutely if you tell me that if your pain is over a seven we need to take you to surgery well then my pain's at a six unless you're telling me i'm gonna die if i don't have the surgery in which right. case it's an eight Right? Like you're back and forth. Exactly. You're like, I, I don't, I don't, and know. you're like, I've done such a good job of surviving until mm-hmm. now. I've brushed it all under the rug until now. Mm-hmm. What if I'm just being weak? Can I keep going? Yeah. Is and there how still more? How inconvenient is this? What's going to happen to my patients on the schedule if I have uh-huh. a surgery? Oh, yeah. yeah. All these things, all these things are going through my head. So they sent me down to get some blood work, and luckily my hemoglobin was still okay. So they were like, here's the deal. If your pain does not increase over the course of the weekend, you're probably going to be fine. If your pain increases at all, then we're, we're going to have to proceed to surgery. So he like gave me his cell phone number. He's like, I'm on call tonight. This is a doctor that's on call tomorrow. You will call us. We will meet you at the opening of the hospital. We will lock you up. Because I had a really terrible experience with my first methotrexate injection to the point that he had me write a letter to the hospital. Wow. And he called the head of the ED and, like, ripped them up one side and down the other. Wow. It was a very bad experience. But, so he was like, that's not going to happen this time. Mm-hmm. And it was on the way home from that appointment where it was like, okay, now it's getting scary. Like, that's where it finally set in, where then I finally had that, like, emotional, like moment where it was like oh my gosh mom this is scary like what happens if I die like what who's what happens to your plan what happens to my plan I haven't prepped Ryan for this Mm -mm. he was still working nights and weekends like I don't have a babysitter in place who can take care of the kids like I have you know I had to raise them right I had a great babysitter but she can't be chilling at our house until 10 30 at night when Ryan gets home from work you know um and so like all these things of like oh my gosh all the stuff that you've never planned it's because now I'm convinced I'm going to die within the next 48 hours, right. um, which I did not. Spo- spoiler alert. Thank I God. I didn't die. Um, and then it took a long time. It took a long time for me to kind of like process all of that. And um, I remember um, 
have you ever been over the bridge on Allen Creek um, mm-hmm. on Cheshire Road? That's a beautiful mm-hmm. area, and it's just, it's so beautiful. And I was driving to work the, the following week, driving to work, and the sun was coming up, and Vance Joy's Fire in the Flood came on. And I am getting an emotion right now. Mm-hmm. Lost it. Like, ugly crying, unsafe to drive. Like, I mm-hmm. got across the bridge because there's nowhere to pull over on the bridge. So I got across the bridge, I came home, I pulled in and just like sat there and I was just like that heavy sobbing. And it was just like, I ended up texting my manager. I was like, I'm going to be late. I'm sorry. Like I sat there sobbing for like 15, 20 minutes. And then like did the whole, like the whole rest of the drive I was like, <gasps> can I breathe again? <laughs> yeah. You know? And then you show up to work and you act like nothing is wrong and of you're course. perfectly fine. Um, Game face. But... Over the six months then, because now we're, we're pushed out six months, and I had two methotrexate, so now I'm, like, terrified that, like, we don't want to bring a child into this world because we're impatient, and they end up having spina bifida, right? right? Like, that happens enough accidentally as it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, I was like, we are not going to intentionally do this to somebody. So, I knew our timeline was pushed out, and that timeline was so essential for Ryan and I to figure out... Do we even like want another child? Do we like, do we, are we happy with our family as it is? And we loved our family as it is. And like, even today, cause there's four and a half years between Lucas and Aria. Mm-hmm. So it's a big gap. So there are things that the boys do that Aria doesn't partake in. Mm-hmm. Like staying up at nine o'clock at night, watching world cup soccer games. Like she's in bed, right? you know? Yeah. And like, so we still have these moments where it's like the four of us mm-hmm. and it's wonderful. Like we would have absolutely been happy with, with our boys, but we didn't feel complete. It wasn't, we weren't done yet, mm-hmm. but we needed that time to separate ourselves from the plan Yeah. to our like, desire and our drive and our purpose and the feeling yes of it. like we not the outcome exactly we needed her and it was not because we wanted to have this many children and because this was the plan and this was the expectation and this is what i've told people it was and we don't have four because we had fertility problems it was she came to us and we were like now now so we have three children which we always said we didn't want to have like we always wanted an even number Mm -hmm. and you know she has enough character for oh yeah like two kids it was so it's like we really kind of do have four um but really we if we didn't have that six months to a year of like realizing i could have died Right. He could have been a single parent. The kiddos could have had no mom for the majority of their right. life. And it was like, okay, this is this is a different like who whose expectations are you trying to meet right now? Who are you living your life for, Allison? Right. Like, why are you doing this? Right. You know? And so that was kind of one of those initial points where it was kind of like, okay, this is we need to kind of recognize what is our motivation here. And then I did not want to find out if we were having a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. And I was convinced that we were having another boy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, when she came out and she was a girl, it was just like all the feels. I was like, oh my God, like this is absolutely the bookend that we needed. Oh yeah. Like this was, and she is just the absolute perfect soul to have completed our family. 
like each of my each of my children are exactly who they are supposed to be when they're supposed to come like there I, I don't know that there could be a better oldest brother in the entire world like I cannot and like for him to demonstrate how to be an older brother I found out last night that when Lucas and Ari get off the bus she's at the front of the bus because the little kids are always in the front uh-huh. and she goes straight to her room well Lucas at the very back of the bus so he doesn't even get into the school until she's already in her classroom like she doesn't wait for him because she's super independent mm-hmm. and he goes to her class every day to make sure that she got into her class okay Oh my gosh. So she just goes and she look, he looks in just to make sure. And I know that Tanner used to walk Lucas to his class every single day. And he would get really upset if Lucas would take off running. He would feel hurt. Like, mm-hmm. but that's, that's, but I need to make sure you're okay. Yeah. You know, like yeah. he'd be worried about him and stuff. And so just to know that like Tanner has so much love for his siblings. Oh, yeah. And he is showing Lucas how to love and to care. And then Lucas is then, I never asked him to check on Aria. He <laughs> felt for himself like I want to make sure that my sister is safe and that she's okay you know mm-hmm. and um and he carries Lucas carries the best middle child energy oh my gosh he is just he is so fun <laughs> he is so fun he has this fun mix of like super independent but also super lovey mm-hmm. you know yeah um and Ari is exactly who she needs to be you know right. and she's so funny because she like is very much like I want to be, well, I want to be an adult. I want to be the oldest. Why did I have to be the third one? You know, how come, how come? Also. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we have to remind her a lot of times about all the fun things she gets to do because she's little that adults don't get to do. Like, you get to go play on a bouncy castle. I don't get to do that. It's totally cool for you to walk around with face paint. That's not cool for me, you know? Like, all these, like, fun things that little kids get to do. I love that way of rephrasing it, too, because you're not, like... You're, you're highlighting the fun and like the the experience mm-hmm. of being little because that's the whole point of this human experience right like that's the whole point why we're here mm-hmm. so instead of just like poo-pooing her or mm-hmm. blowing her off or however else you could handle that right you're like no here are the reasons why you want to be little. Here's what you get to do. And she, and like, and I definitely, I try to take the time to make sure like I validate her. Cause she wants, mm-hmm. she wants to like, well, I want to pick my own movie. Well, I right. want to like, I want to make my own choices basically. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I totally get that. That it rocks as an adult and you get to make your own decisions and you'll get to do that. But you're going to be an adult the most part of your life. Like the longest part of your life, you're going to be an adult. I'm like, and there are a lot of decisions that you get to make as a little kid. Like, what kind of decisions? And I try not to tell her. I try to her, get her to yeah. come up with the decisions, you know? So she gets to come up with what she wants to color. She gets to come up with what she wants to wear. She gets to come up with whether or not she wants to brush her teeth right when she wakes up or brush her teeth before we get to leave the house, you know? It's got to happen at some point before you go talk to other humans. You get to decide when, you know? Mm-hmm. So we kind of try to help her recognize what whatever it is that is the reason she wants to be an adult or she wants to be big how do you get to emulate that kind of stuff when you're a kid right now? And why is it so much more fun to be where you are right now? And so that's incredible. Well, we'll see if it helps. <laughs> I would say that it is helping that it's already look at the, all the progress you just discussed that you just talked about and highlighted. And on top of that, like the divine timing and all of it, 
yeah these souls being sent to you for a reason mm -hmm. you're saying that they completed your family well there's a reason that that was the case right there's a reason that you are their mother mm -hmm. and there's also a reason why you have had the experiences that you've had you've had the ectopic pregnancy for Arya to get you to wake the fuck up and be like, hi, you're trying to control this too much. And because you're doing that, you're fucking it all up. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it really took you until your mortality was in question yeah. for you to be able to realize that, like, this seemingly innocent goal, mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. seemingly innocent picture of how you always saw your life. Mm -hmm could actually be the your demise in the way that you mm -hmm. don't Reject. get to live your life yeah and like how ridiculous is it that like we have to be met with mortality before we can like wake up oh yeah you know and it's like it, it's just it's so silly you know so it's like now that i look back on that it was like allison you could have taken the first miscarriage as an opportunity to sit back for a second and reflect could have taken the second miscarriage as an opportunity to be like, what's going on in my, what am I putting out right now that this is not the right time? What mm -hmm. kind of energy am I approaching this with that this is not the right time for me? Mm -hmm. What do I need to address so that I can be in a place where I can actually receive mm -hmm. what it is that I want? Mm -hmm. Like how many times have you and I talked about it? Like, you know, you have to have a certain amount of learning before you can receive the oh, thing yeah. that you want to receive. Absolutely. And it's like, if you were to get the thing that you want right now, you A, wouldn't know what to do with it. You'd lose it. You'd mess it up. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a certain amount of learning that needs to occur, a certain amount of experience that needs to be acquired that you need to pay attention to mm -hmm. in order to receive the thing and to be able to do something with the thing that you want to receive. Absolutely. And so it was like, I could have taken any of those opportunities. And I didn't. And so instead, God, universe, spirit, whatever it is, was like, okay, here's the thing is I'm going to go ahead and make you almost die. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see if that works. And if that doesn't work, then then maybe we're going to make you really, really almost die mm -hmm. with like a ruptured, you know, something. Yeah, absolutely. In a very uncontrolled situation. Right. Until you finally figure out that like... You've got some things to work through here, mm -hmm. you know? How beautiful. I wanted to take a moment before we wrap things up today to thank all of you for your overwhelming support with the launch of this podcast. Your comments and reviews mean the world to us, and we're so grateful for everyone who's reached out and joined us in this exciting new journey. If you'd like, check out the links in the description to connect with us on social media and become a part of our growing community. Until next week, love and light.